This is Guns and Butter. They know that this system that we're living under right now, that this system is broken and will never be repaired. I think what we're seeing right now is uh, that the whole world is in danger of uh, facing the, the, the biggest financial takedown in history. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Ernst Wolf. Today's show, The End Game. Ernst Wolf is an author and journalist living in Berlin. He has written four books in German on the relationship between the financial system and politics, including Financial Tsunami, soon to be out in English, Wolf of Wall Street, a printed version of a collection of short videos explaining different aspects of the financial system, and Pillaging the World, the History and Politics of the IMF, available in English. He has also written a children's book in German. Ernst Wolf was born in Tianjin, China, spent his childhood in Seoul, Korea, went to school in Germany, and studied in the U.S., but was expelled from the U.S. in 1970 for writing three articles against the Vietnam War. Ernst Wolf, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. I'd always been shocked by the video clips of speeches made by the young Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, and her hardline regarding lockdowns, even going so far as to say that no one in New Zealand was allowed to smoke a cigarette. I recently saw a short embedded video of a New Zealander claiming that Jacinda Ardern does not represent the people of New Zealand, but that she works for the World Economic Forum. He then said to check out the Young Global Leaders Program of the WEF. When I did that, I saw her listed there along with Mark Zuckerberg. I then clicked on alumni of the Young Global Leaders, and so many of the presidents and prime ministers of countries showed up. Of course, this led to your research into this program. I have been mystified as to how almost the entire world is coordinated to enact the very same policies at the same time, and this Young Global Leaders program seems to be the missing link. How did you become aware of this program? Well, see, I lived in Switzerland for quite a while, and I always uh, saw these meetings they had in January. Like for 50 years, they've held meetings in Davos, which is a small uh, winter resort in uh, Switzerland. And I was kind of uh, um, taken aghast because uh, there were like 1,500 private jets that landed there. And uh, there were people from all over the world meeting there. And those were extremely rich people and extremely powerful people. So I looked into this thing and I found out that this uh, WEF was founded in 1971 and that it started to uh, kind of become a training ground for the international corporate and political elite in 1992. That's when they started their first class. That was the class of 1993. And in that class, you will find names like Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, you will find Nicolas Sarkozy, who used to be the uh, president of France. You will find Bill Gates in there. And you will find other names like Manuel Barroso, who was the head of the European Union. 
So you'll find all sorts of very, very prominent uh, politicians and uh, corporate leaders in there. And this uh, training program has been going on for several years. Um, and they've even started a new program. In the beginning, it was called uh, Global Leaders for Tomorrow. And then they changed the name into um, Young Global Leaders. And now they've started a new program as, as, uh, a few years ago, which is called uh, Global Shapers. And they have uh, 500, I think it's about 500 hubs all over the world where people meet and they have gathered around, uh, around about 10,000 people to join that organization. So, so that is really like the, the, the place where the elite of the world is being trained and is being prepared for their jobs. How do participants enter the Young Global Leaders Program, or are they chosen? They're not chosen. They have to apply. They have to apply, and then they're, they're picked out. And they have to undergo some kind of uh, questioning, and then uh, they're either approved or denied admission. Um, the thing is that the global le leaders of tomorrow and the young global leaders, they had to be under the age of 40, and now the young global shapers, they have to be under the age of 30. So the young global shapers, that's mostly people who have aspirations in politics, but also that's a, a lot of leaders of young startup companies, uh, mostly in the uh, uh, IT uh, arena. An article on your research by Michael Lord states that, quote, California Governor Gavin Newsom is on the list, who was selected for the class of 2005, as well as former presidential candidate and current U.S. Secretary of Transportation Peter Buttigieg, who is a very recent alumnus, having been selected for the class of 2019. So it's not just leaders of countries who pass through this WEF program, but politicians at many levels of government. That's true. That's true. Politicians at many levels of government, like the uh, German health minister uh, of our last uh, government here. He was a member of uh, uh, the Young Global Leaders, and we have several politicians here in Germany who are not very prominent outside of Germany, but they've all also undergone these uh, courses. And among the big business leaders, you will also find, I, I've already mentioned Bill Gates, you will also find Jeff Bezos there, and you will also find Steve Mbama there, who was once the CEO of Microsoft. So you'll have the, the complete elite of the world that has been trained by a, a Mr. Klaus Schwab, who is a German professor, who is about 80 years old now. I think he's 83 now. And he started this uh, uh, World Economic Forum in 1971. Interestingly, his, uh, he was a student of uh, Henry Kissinger's at Harvard University. And I think that Harvard University plays a big role because these people are all sent to Harvard U University for some time in order to attend some classes there. 1971 was also the year that the dollar went off the gold standard during Richard Nixon's presidency and his Svengali Henry Kissinger, whom you've just mentioned. Do you think that the creation of the World Economic Forum and the dollar going off the gold standard are related? It might, might be a coincidence, but it might be related. Uh, if it is, I mean, your, your president, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, once said, uh, nothing in politics happens by accident. It's all planned. And if you think something happened by accident, and if you look into it, you will find out that it was planned. 
So there might might have been a plan behind it. But even if there wasn't, I mean, this uh, uh, foundation has turned into one of the most powerful organizations in the world. But it's not the only foundation. We have other foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or George Soros's foundation. I mean, all these foundations play a very big role in, in, in our time. Um, things have changed. Things have changed, particularly since, since the 1970s. Because now it used to be, until 1970, it used to be that the basis for power was money. If somebody had a lot of money, he had a lot of power. And if people had uh, real big sums of money, they had extreme, extreme power. But nowadays, ever since 1970, a new uh, uh, force has come into the foreground, and that is data. I mean, uh, companies like uh, Microsoft and uh, Apple, they were founded in the mid-70s, and they've become extremely powerful. Like nowadays, the biggest five uh, IT companies in the world, they have a market capitalization around $10 trillion, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And they exert a lot of power. They control all the data in this world. And by controlling the data, they control all the big companies, all the big corporations in the world, and all the governments. And that's why uh, organizations like foundations have become so extremely important, because uh, behind them, they have these IT companies and they have the big financial companies. And within the financial realm, we've also we've seen some major changes. Like until the 1970s, 1980s, it was the Wall Street that... Uh, always was the number one in the financial system. And then after 1970, 1980, uh, the uh, um, big uh, investment banks became even more powerful. And then it was the, the hedge funds that became more powerful. And then starting in about 2005, 2010, it was the asset managements that became the most powerful forces in the world. And they are now the, the, the most powerful forces, uh, with uh, BlackRock being the number one, and Vanguard being the number two. BlackRock manages assets worth about 9.5 trillion, and uh, uh, Vanguard manages assets worth about 7.5 trillion. So between the two of them, they're managing about $17 trillion, which is absolutely enormous, which is almost as much as the GDP of the United States. And who is on the board of trustees of the World Economic Forum? Oh, you have a, a lot of prominent names, among them Larry Fink, Larry Fink, the head of, uh, of BlackRock. So, I mean, everybody can look up the names. Uh, they're all in, on the Internet. But there are some outstanding names there, like Christine Lagarde, who was the uh, head of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and is now the head of the ECB, the European Central Bank. Um, and Larry Fink, of course, to me, seems like one of the most important figures of our time because being the head of BlackRock, and keep in mind that BlackRock is the major shareholder of almost all big companies in the world, especially of the IT companies. So they share their interests. And also there has been a kind of a merger between the financial system and the um, uh, digital system. BlackRock uploaded its uh, computer system, Aladdin, which contains the most valuable information about the financial system, collected in about 40 years, they uploaded that into the Azure cloud of Microsoft. So uh, these two companies together already form a force that is uh, uh, bigger than anything we've ever seen. And taking together all these seven companies like Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, Facebook on the one hand, on the digital side, and then BlackRock and Vanguard 
on the financial side, I mean, they're the, the ones that are controlling the world at the moment. Yes, and you mentioned uh, Larry Fink and BlackRock. Now, uh, at the very beginning, I guess in 2020, or maybe it was 2019, I can't remember exactly, BlackRock was hired by the Federal Reserve to dispense the CARE funds so that BlackRock is dispensing all the money to the different companies and whomever and banks uh, from the United States government. It sounds absolutely crazy, but uh, the Federal Reserve had no chance to pick somebody else because, uh, of course, BlackRock has Aladdin, and they know more about the financial system in the world than anybody else, and they control every market all over the world, so they can they can uh, uh, set the rules. I mean, the, the Federal Reserve cannot act against BlackRock. They have to go along with BlackRock, and BlackRock, of course, uh, act in their own interest. But it's, BlackRock is not only the major advisor of the Federal Reserve, they're also the major advisor of the Bank of England and of the ECB, of the European Central Bank. So BlackRock really uh, uh, tells, tells these central banks which way to go, and if they don't follow the rules set up by BlackRock, they will fail. I mean, that's how strong and how powerful BlackRock has gotten. Yes, and BlackRock can also dictate the policies of the different companies that they fund. Isn't that right? Sure. They're the major shareholders of all the big companies in the world. Like in Germany, you have 30 big companies. The 30 biggest companies, they're all, they all have two big shareholders, biggest shareholders, and they're BlackRock and uh, Vanguard. And that's very interesting because Vanguard at the same time is the biggest shareholder of BlackRock. So what, what you see here is an enormous concentration of power and of wealth that the world has never seen before. I mean, these companies uh, have more money and they have more power by controlling all the data in the world than any other companies or any other force in the world uh, up to the, uh, the 21st century. So then basically, would you say that BlackRock and Vanguard are actually controlling the global financial system? Absolutely. Together with, uh, I mean, there, there are some other companies that are pretty powerful too, but none as powerful as BlackRock and Vanguard. You will find the names like Fidelity, State Street, or uh, uh, JP Morgan Asset Management, but they, um, they, they manage assets like up to about $2 trillion. But I mean, uh, just take uh, BlackRock with its uh, 9.5 trillion and Vanguard with 7.5 trillion. They are the major players. They're the biggest global players that the world have, has ever seen, and they control the financial system. But important, the, the important fact is that they also are uh, sort of intertwined with the big IT companies, with uh, Apple, Microsoft, and uh, uh, Google, because they're they're major shareholders too. I'm speaking with author and journalist Ernst Wolf. Today's show, The End Game. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. I was shocked in March of 2020 when all independent businesses, save the big box stores and online platforms, were shut down and there was no pushback. I couldn't believe that everyone was going along with the destruction of the economy. How can you account for the acquiescence of business 
to such a dictatorship? Well, it's the, the big businesses that acquiesce because uh, they know that this system that we're living under right now, that this system is broken and will never be repaired. So what they're doing now, right now, what they've been doing since the uh, beginning of 2020 is they're taking down the system very deliberately and they want to establish a new system. And the new system that will be CBDCs, that will be central bank digital currencies. And they're going for that. But central bank digital currencies, that, that, that's slavery. That's absolute slavery. Because if uh, their, their uh, final aim is that everybody should have only one bank account with a central bank. No more bank accounts with the uh, uh, normal banks. And the money creation should be placed only into the hand of the central banks. But that is total control of the population. That means total slavery by, by a new monetary system. And that system wouldn't be accepted by the majority of the population. So, so what they're doing now is they're taking down the system and they're creating big, a big havoc so that in the end they can come uh, to the rescue of the people by implementing a system of uh, universal basic income. I think that's what they're heading for, universal basic income. And they, what they want to implement that way is CBDC, central bank digital currencies. But the, the basic fact is that they know that the system as it is right now is broken and it will never be repaired. So their only way out is what uh, Klaus Schwab has described in his book, uh, The Big Reset. He wrote a book called COVID-19, The Big Reset, which was published in July 2020 and which contains sort of the, the agenda or the, the script for everything that's been happening. And he said that the system is broken and he says very, very accurately, he says uh, the system has to be um, destroyed. He calls it creative destruction. The system has to be destroyed in order to, to put up a new system. He never talks about central bank digital currencies because uh, he, he does not want uh, people to know how this new system will be implemented. But the thing is that he very accurately talks about total creative destruction of, the, of the, the present system. Well, I was about to ask you uh, what you think is the driving force behind lockdowns and the destruction of the real economy. Now, if the present financial system is considered broken, why is that? Well, because they've created so much money and, and uh, that, that, of course, causes a major devaluation of, of the current uh, um, currencies. See, the, the, the system has been broken for a long time. The system broke down. The first time the system broke down was in, in, in 1998 when a big hedge fund in New York failed and they had to prop up the system. And uh, at that time, they, they could prop up the system by several banks getting together and uh, uh, putting about four uh, billion dollars into the system and thus saving the system. Then we had the world financial crisis in which the problems became even bigger so that the banks were unable to prop up the system. So then the, 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 the governments and the states moved in and they saved the system by using taxpayers' money. And then we had the euro crisis and then taxpayers' money was not enough anymore. And then they started printing money like crazy or creating new money. And that has been going on since 2010, 2011. And then they tried to turn around in between 2016 and 2018. Like the Federal Reserve, they started to raise interest rates because the big central banks, they have two ways of propping up the system. One is creating money and the other is lowering interest rates. 
And uh, uh, as of 2016 until 2018, they tried to turn around. And the Federal Reserve, for example, they raised interest rates four times in 2018. Uh, each uh, raise was only by 2.25%. So they raised interest rates by about 1% during one year. And the result was disastrous because the result was that the uh, um, uh, share uh, markets in the world uh, uh, broke down, that uh, we had the biggest drop in share values in uh, around Christmas time 2018. So that's when Janet Yellen uh, turned up and told the international investors that they would not raise interest uh, rates anymore, but they would lower them again. And then they lowered them again, and then we had the next... Uh, almost crash of the system in uh, March 2020, and that's when we reached zero interest rates. So from now on, they can only print more money. And that, that's what they've been doing like crazy during the past uh, um, year and a half. And that, of course, results in uh, inflation. And we have a, a, a major inflation now, like in, in, uh, in the US, I think the inflation rate is about in, in between six or eight percent. Here in Europe, uh, they, they tell us that it's about 5 to 6%, but everybody knows that it's actually much higher. If you buy food in, in Germany, the inflation rate is about 50 to 60% right now. So that is an unstoppable process. So we know that we're facing um, a real wave of inflation now, and that means a total devaluation of all currencies. And of course, that will hit the middle class and the, the, the working class much more than the big corporations. So the big corporations and the big banks, they all know that this system is due for a major breakdown. So they are preparing for that. I mean, take a look at what the big uh, investors in America are doing. Um, Bill Gates, for example, is the biggest owner of uh, farmland now. So he knows that money will be worth nothing in the future. But also he, he started this big company, Microsoft, and they will survive. I mean, they have uh, done a lot with their assets. They have uh, bought up all sorts of uh, uh, fixed assets and they're not relying on, on, on money anymore. And they know that once the system is started again, they will be controlling the system by controlling the data. So what we're seeing is a process that is benefiting the big companies. They can live with all these shutdowns or lockdowns Whereas the middle class cannot live with that. The middle class is being targeted by the biggest big companies right now. And the middle class will be the big loser of uh, uh, this, this struggle and this fight right now. You can see that the middle class are, are losing out. They are being bought up by, by lots of scouts. Scouts either from, from big uh, banks or from big corporations. Uh, and the major group of scouts here in Germany that is now buying up companies all over the place comes from China. So what we're seeing is uh, the destruction, the total destruction of the middle class. And uh, if they implement this uh, CBDC system that uh, these central bank uh, digital currencies, it will be the big companies and the, the uh, big corporations that are the big winners. Now, when you say that it's impossible for the banks to increase interest rates, is that because it hurts the stock market and it also makes the debt harder to uh, handle? Service. Right. You, you, you will not be able to, to service your debt. And the, the, uh, the amount of debt in the world today is the biggest amount of debt we've ever had. We have about $300 trillion in debt. That is household debt, that is corporate debt, and that is government debt. And that, that debt has to be serviced day by day. 
And in order to and in order to be able to serve it, you have to have very very low interest rates. And interest rates now are at about at zero or near zero. And if you raise them, it becomes harder to uh, service this debt. And also, of course, uh, it becomes harder to service uh, to 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 uh, finance uh, your engagement in the in the financial markets. And then you have uh, BlackRock and uh, and Vanguard. For example, if the Federal Reserve only uh, tried to raise interest rates by another 0.25% or 0.5%, it would be Vanguard and uh, and uh, BlackRock that would could bring down any market in the world. That could bring down any any share market in the world. And so the 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 uh, central banks they have been they have been uh, hijacked by these uh, big asset uh, management companies. And what about the 2010 Rockefeller plan in four parts, one part called lockdown? It seems that what is happening today has been planned for a long time. How does the lockdown somehow service or serve the financial powers? Well, the lockdown is a way to bring down the middle class. Because it's the middle class that doesn't get any any loans from their banks anymore, and they're they're the ones that really suffer from this. I mean, the big the, the big companies see they they got all sorts of uh, money from the governments in order to to uh, help them out. Like here in in, in Germany, the big uh, um, uh, air air corporations they got a lot of money. The car companies they got a lot of money, but, uh, but the middle class they they only got very very small amounts of. Money and they are the the ones that are hit hardest by the the lockdowns. The big ones they will be able to survive. I mean they have they've uh, uh, hoarded so much cash in the in the in the past and they've uh, bought up so many assets in the past that they can survive uh, like three, four, five years of lockdowns. Take a look at for example uh, Uber. Uber who have uh, uh, lived without any uh, profits for I think it was about six or seven years. But they have big, big uh, money behind them. They have the Saudi uh, trust behind them. And these people, they can live with big losses for several years. But their aim is uh, to uh, dominate the world market in the end. And that's what they're aiming for. So they, uh, they can live with losses for a long time. And right now we, we see that the big companies, either in America or in Europe or even in China, they can live with big losses for a long time. But it's the middle class that's being targeted and the middle class is being destroyed. And what is meant by the fourth industrial revolution? I've heard you say that there's going to be a tremendous amount of job loss. Yes, it's the introduction of uh, artificial intelligence. I mean, artificial intelligence is, is taking over at a speed never seen before. See, just take a look at autonomous uh, uh, vehicles. What does it mean? I mean, they want to introduce autonomous uh, vehicles by 2030. That will mean that will have the consequence that all drivers of uh, uh, lorries or or vans or or drivers of uh, locomotives or even uh, uh, Airplane captains, they will be without jobs. I mean, just uh, if, I, if I just look at Germany, that will mean that about 800,000 people lose their jobs. Or if you take a look at, at what, what they're trying to introduce through the lockdowns is home uh, office and homeschooling. Take a look at homeschooling. That's uh, a major aim is uh, to replace all sorts of teachers by uh, uh, setting people or, or pupils in front of big screens 
And all you need then is like one teacher for thousands and thousands of pupils. You can you can save, uh, like in Germany, you have 800,000 teachers right now. You would be able to do with 800 teachers. So uh, 799,800 <laughs> would lose their jobs. It's absolutely incredible. And if you take a look at other, other parts of the economy, AI is progressing at a speed never seen before and people will be losing their jobs in the tens or hundreds of millions all over the world. And of course, that will mean that these people will be lost as consumers. And that will mean that these people will be have reinstalled into the system as consumers. And that will be done by introducing CBDCs by central bank government via universal basic income. Because if somebody does not have a job, but you want him to stimulate the economy, you have to give him some money. So these people will be given universal basic income in order, not, not in order to help them, it's not a humanitarian act, but in order to keep them uh, functioning as uh, consumers within the system. I'm speaking with author and journalist Ernst Wolf. Today's show, The End Game. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, you've mentioned central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs. Now, these are blockchain, aren't they? How does blockchain work? Well, blockchain is, is a system that, that works, uh, uh, just, just to, to be able to, to, to explain it for, for people who don't know what it's about. If you send an email, you write an email, and you send a duplicate of this email. Or if you send somebody a, a picture by... Uh, by via internet, you have this picture on your computer and you send them a duplicate. But if you work on a blockchain, you do not send the duplicate of the picture, you send the original picture to the other person. So that picture is no longer with you, but is with the other person. And that has been used for the financial system. Like Bitcoin, for example, is based on blockchain. If you have a, 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 a one Bitcoin, for example, and you want to send it to somebody else, you can do that via your computer. You can send the other person one Bitcoin. That Bitcoin is no longer on your computer and no longer uh, yours. That Bitcoin then is on the computer of the other person. So that's the way blockchain works. But there's a big difference between Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies that are around right now, because they, they kind of evade the banking system. They are kind of, uh, they, they are blockchain based and in a, in a sort of uh, uh, democratic way because they do not work through uh, financial intermediaries. But the central bank, their digital currencies are totally the, the opposite of this. They, are, they may be blockchain based, but they will be totally controlled by those that hand out the money by the central banks. The central banks will be able to see every financial transaction of every person that is within the CBD system. So that will mean total control and that will lead to total slavery by CBDCs. Do you think that the replacement of the current global financial system with central bank digital currencies will be successful? I do not think that it will be successful. I, I think that it's an attempt to prop up a system that has uh, uh, failed and uh, they, will, they will face major problems even if they are able to implement it. I think they will face uh, major social uh, resistance 
just like right now they're facing major social resistance with this uh, health regime that they've put up. I mean, uh, here in Europe, you can see that people are protesting in large numbers, and I think that's also uh, valid for the US. I think people are not buying uh, the stories that they are being told anymore. And the same will happen to, to the uh, central banks' uh, digital currencies. There will be a major social resistance, and also the system in the end will not work because you cannot implement people as consumers by handing out money to them without uh, constantly um, uh, producing um, a major steps forward in inflation. So this system will end in, uh, in a spiral of inflation that will be uncontrollable. So I think that will just be a system that, that will work for a short period of time, but in the long run will also fail. Well, how exactly do central bank digital currencies, how can they be inflated the way dollars are? I don't quite understand. Because, because people will be, keep losing their jobs because of the fourth industrial revolution and you will have more and more people out of jobs and you will have to, to finance these people in order to, to uh, uh, keep them as consumers. That's that's the major problem because CBDCs are not a humanitarian thing. They are not meant to keep people from starving, and uh, they're only meant to keep people in the in, in the system as consumers. But to keep them into the system as consumers means to you have to give more money to more people because the army of of jobless people will keep uh, mounting. You will have millions of millions that will need universal basic income. And the more people that need the universal basic income, the more people you have, the more CBDCs you will have to usher. And that way, this system will, will be spiring itself into oblivion at some time. Well, right. And it's also a system of total control, right? That is right, because uh, the central bank will know about every single financial transaction and it will be able to cut people off from all uh, uh, financial flows. Uh, they, they will be able to uh, usher a, a social credit system, like if, if you don't pay your rent, you won't get any uh, universal basic in income. Or if you, uh, if you take part in certain demonstrations that are not, uh, not allowed, that you're not allowed to take part in, they will be able to... Uh, to, to give you less money or even to, to totally cut you off from all money uh, flows. I mean, that's, that's what, uh, what has already been implemented in China. If you want to look at the future of what, what uh, that awaits us here in Europe or you in the US, you only have to look at China. They are about three or four steps ahead. They're, I mean, they already have uh, handed out 140 million wallets with CBDC. There, they have tested CBDCs, and they're probably the first uh, uh, nation on earth that will be able to usher CBDCs. And they will also have a major advantage over the United States because they will be able to uh, pass out the CBDCs not only in China, but along the uh, uh, one belt, one road. And that, that thus uh, be able to, to uh, put out this currency all over the, the Middle East and even in some countries of Africa. So that will be giving them a big advantage over the US. And I think the US has a big problem with that. And uh, maybe even the, the uh, uh, things that happened around Afghanistan had something to do with that because uh, the US all of a sudden left Afghanistan. And I think they might have been uh, blackmailed by the Chinese. The Chinese might have told them, 
we are going to usher CBDCs if you don't get out of Afghanistan. That could be the background, and that might explain why the Americans got out of uh, Afghanistan so quickly. Yes, that's an interesting point. The U.S. exit from Afghanistan uh, seemed like it was overly rushed, and they shut down the Bagram Air Force Base, which I've been told would have been the logical way for them to exit uh, Afghanistan, but they just walked away from it. Right. There must, there must have been somebody behind all this. And I think that uh, one should look into this uh, race between the uh, United States and between China, because they're both trying to, they're working on this central bank digital currency. They're not telling people about it, but the Americans are testing it on the uh, Bahamas. They have ushered the, the sand dollar there. It's 380,000 people who already have a central bank digital currencies. And they're also testing it on some uh, uh, very small islands in the Caribbean. And the Chinese have tested it in some of their major cities like uh, uh, Shenzhen. So there's, there's a race going on behind the scenes between these two countries. And uh, very visibly, China is leading in this race. People talk about communism and the Chinese Communist Party, but China has a capitalist economy, doesn't it? Oh, yes. China has switched over from a communist system, from a planned economy, to the, the uh, uh, most rampant capitalist uh, system that we've ever seen. I mean, China is some sort of turbo-capitalism, and uh, they're benefiting from, from the times when they had this planned economy, because that was when the Communist Party ruled uh, China, and the Communist Party is a centralized system of power, and this centralized system of power is very, very effective. And take this centralized system of power and combine it with capitalism, and you have the, the, the most horrible, turbo capitalism the world has ever seen. I mean, China is 100% capitalist, and it's absolutely ridiculous that this, the Communist Party is still called the Communist Party. Who controls the banking system in China? Oh, that is mostly, it's mostly a shadow banking system. It's not controlled by the the, uh, it's uh, partly controlled by the, the Communist Party, but it's also controlled by the big uh, IT companies in, in China. Because in China, you also have a digital financial complex. You have these big companies. And uh, the funny thing is that even one of their uh, biggest uh, uh, personalities in the IT business, the Chinese Bill Gates, who is called Jack Ma, he was also uh, um, trained by... Uh, the World Economic Forum. He was in one of their classes. But in China, you have this digital financial sector on the one side, and you have the Communist Party on the other side. And the two of them, they are, they, they are in a, engaging in a big struggle for power right now. And I think that the uh, Chinese Communist Party uh, has kind of made an alliance with the American digital financial complex. Because in May, you had a, um, a very interesting meeting in, in Beijing, that was the International Financial Forum, which is uh, sort of the Chinese version of the World Economic Forum. Um, it's a big foundation uh, headed by Chinese, uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. But within this corporation, within the, the uh, uh, board of directors, you will find all sorts of names like Christine Lagarde, like Horst Köhler, who used to be the head of the IMF. You will find uh, 
the ex-head uh, of the European uh, Central Bank, you will find all sorts of people from Western financial system. And at this conference, one of the uh, leading caters of the uh, Communist Party of China came out and said that this Chinese central bank digital currency might be issued on the, on the network of uh, either Ethereum or Diem. And Diem is the follow-up to Libra, and Libra is nothing but uh, Mark Zuckerberg's um, cryptocurrency for Facebook. So that tells me that the Chinese Communist Party behind the scenes is working together with the digital financial complex of the West. Well, that was going to be my next question as to how infiltrated has China become uh, with Western financial power. It's all integrated, right? It's not as if uh, the Chinese financial sector is separate from the West. No, no, it's, it's integrated and... Uh... Uh, for example, uh, Larry Fink is the, the first big uh, representative from the West who's being allowed to do business in China. BlackRock is very active in China at the moment. And BlackRock, uh, we, we know how, how strong and how powerful BlackRock is. And the Chinese economic system is, is very, very closely connected to the Western world. And they're, they're having some, some major trouble right now. But they are also planning this big takedown of the system. Like... They have these problems with Evergrande, but these problems with Evergrande, they were caused by the Chinese Communist Party because the Chinese Communist Party set up some new rules about three months ago and they knew very exactly that these rules would hurt Evergrande so that Evergrande would be in big trouble. So they produced these problems. So what I think is that they're also trying to take down their system in order to, in the, in the last analysis, implement CBDCs. I think what we're seeing right now is uh, that the whole world is in danger of uh, facing the most, uh, the, the biggest financial takedown in history. I'm speaking with author and journalist Ernst Wolf. Today's show, The End Game. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, that's very interesting that you see the Chinese trying to take down their own economy the way it's being implemented in the West, that they're doing the same thing. Exactly. But, but they, even if they wanted to, to do differently, they couldn't. Because uh, uh, there are certain laws uh, uh, that, that the econom economy works by, and then they, they apply for China as well as for the West. You can raise interest, you can lower interest up to a certain point. But once, once you reach 0% interest rates, uh, the, the system can no longer work with negative interest rates. Banks, the banking system can no, cannot work in the long run and cannot work with negative interest rates. And we are hitting negative interest rates. We've hit negative interest rates last year. And so all they can do now is produce more money. And more money devalues money and creates inflation. And that's what we're seeing. And that destroys all the currencies all over the world. And that's what we're seeing right now, this process. How does the Russian Federation fit into all of this? Uh, are they doing the lockdowns and the, this whole mask wearing and everything like the rest of the world? They're doing it like the rest of the world. They're creating their own uh, vaccines. Uh, they're they're uh, implementing lockdowns. People have to be wearing masks over there. But they're facing major opposition in the population because uh, the Russian population, I mean, they, they know what, uh, 
what a dictatorship looks like. They've lived under dicta under a horrible Stalinist dictatorship for a long time, and they're they're opposing this in, in a way that we've not seen in the West. But Russia has a major advantage too at the moment because Russia is uh, largely uh, depends on its real economy, not is not as dependent on its financial system as, for example, China and the U.S. and and Europe. Uh, Russia is a, a major um, exporter of uh, oil and of gas, and, and therefore is uh, pr pretty important for the other countries at the moment. They're in a better position. Also, they have large. Uh, uh, amounts of gold. Uh, uh, they've bought a lot, large amounts of gold, so they're not as uh, as uh, uh, affected by this crisis right now. So they might might in the end be be the big winner. Uh, but I, I don't know the, what, what will happen. But but we should not believe that the Russian economy is not not dependent on the Western economy. They're intertwined with the Western banks as uh, as China is. But, uh, but they, they have these uh, uh, major resources of raw materials, and that might be a, a, um, a major factor for them to benefit from this crisis. I see. So you're saying that the uh, Russian Federation economy is not as financialized as, say, China or the West? No, because historically it's behind. It's, it's much behind everybody else. Uh, I mean, they, they've financialized everything they, they could financialize, but it's largely an uh, uh, agricultural economy. They're largely, because of all these uh, um, sanctions that have been implemented, they're largely dependent on their own food supplies right now. And of course, they're, they're the world's major uh, exporter of oil and gas. And so uh, that puts them in, in an advantageous position. Exactly. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the fact that the U.S. sanctions against Russia has actually worked in Russia's behalf. That is true, right. What do you make of the cyber polygon drills carried out by the World Economic Forum that entail the shutting down of the internet? What's that all about? That might be another scheme to, to uh, um, hurry up the, the breakdown of the system. See, uh, one way to break down the system is to, to make the financial system collapse. But if you want to really scare people, then you could you could uh, collapse the internet for a few days because nothing would, would work anymore then. So uh, that way it could it could create major havoc all around the world, and I think that's what they're heading for. What they're heading for is civil wars all over the world, so that they can come up at the end and in the end come come up and and say we will save you from 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 starvation. We will give you universal basic income. I, th I think that's the, the final aim of what we're seeing right now, and that's the final aim of the agenda that has been uh, uh, pushed uh, forward for about two years now. I think it has nothing to do with health. It, it, it's, it's all about the economy, it's all about the financial system, and it's all about power. It's about the people that are in power now, and they're trying to stay in power. Yes, and creating chaos and civil war works to their advantage, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, we see this here in the United States with the pitting of uh, different races against each other and the cancel culture. It's like they're trying to uh, make everybody go against everybody else. The same thing over here in Europe, yes. Oh, or is this, that right? This gender in agenda Europe? or this racial agenda, it's the same thing over here. And the, the, the problem behind all of this is that you have these uh, 
um, uh, social media these days that control people's opinions. And the social media are controlled by the big IT companies, and the big IT companies are controlled by BlackRock and Vanguard. So it's always the same players. It's always the same players in the background. It's the same puppeteers that are steering the, the agenda that we're going through right now. Yes, and could you talk a little bit more about the social media, the power of the social media? I mean, I've heard you mention, and of course I've thought a lot about it myself, is that Twitter kicked President Trump off of Twitter. Now that shows you who, who's really in power in these days, because everybody thought that Donald Trump as the President of the United States was the most powerful man in the world, but he was not. He, he never was, and, and he, no American president ever will be the most powerful man in the world because this man can be shut off by Twitter, and Twitter is part of this uh, social media system, and the social media, they are controlled by about five big companies, and behind these five big companies, you have the, the, the major asset uh, management companies. So the world is actually controlled by people like Larry Fink, Bill Gates, or uh, Elon Musk, and not by, by the politicians. The politicians are nothing but puppets. They're being steered by the puppeteers in the background, and the puppeteers in the background, they are the heads of the digital financial complex. It's the digital financial complex that is dominating the world and is setting the rules. And how would you define the digital financial complex? What is that, a combination of IT and the central banks? Exactly. IT companies, the big IT companies, at the top of these IT companies, you find um, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, um, Meta, which used to be Facebook, and um, Amazon. Those are the big major five companies there. Then you have also have Netflix and Disney. They, they are there to, to, to amuse people, to, to keep people uh, quiet. Um, and then on the financial side, it used to be Wall Street, but it's no longer Wall Street because all the big major banks in Wall Street are now owned by the major asset well, asset uh, uh, management companies. So on the uh, financial side, you have the big asset management companies like BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, State Street, JP Asset Morgan uh, Management, and some, some others. They control the world. My sense is that an energy crisis is being prepared, a staged energy crisis. There's talk about shutting down the fossil fuel industry and going to all electric. This makes no sense in terms of energy production as it takes more energy to create electricity. That is right, but that is only part of the agenda to take down the whole system. I mean, they, they, they have to find some culprit and uh, one of their culprits is uh, the energy system. They will tell people that, I, I think there's two agendas that they're following right now. One has to do with health. They're telling us that everything they're doing is uh, for our major benefit in the health, uh, within the, the realm of health. And the other is within green energy. And they're, they're trying us that they're trying to save the planet, but they're not trying to save the planet. They're trying to take down the system. And the energy crisis, of course, is staged. Uh, like here in Germany, for example, they're they're shutting they're uh, shutting off uh, three uh, major nuclear power plants. Uh, they they just uh, shut them off three days ago, but they they never uh, they never tried to 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 get any uh, um, uh, other other energy for that in order to replace that as replacement. So they they're very actively creating an energy crisis, 
They're creating uh, an internet crisis via Polygon. They're creating an energy crisis. They're creating a job crisis. They're uh, attacking the middle class. All this is nothing but parts of the big agenda to take down the whole system because the system doesn't work anymore. Right. And we could also uh, add to all of that the uh, disruption in the distribution systems. This uh, uh, Peter Buttigieg, who's the head of transportation, was on, quote, maternity leave when all of these uh, container cargo ships were not being unloaded and nothing was being done about it. He said that the distribution crisis wouldn't end until the pandemic was over. Yeah, that's that's what they're telling us over here also. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's, there's a plan behind it, there's an agenda behind it, and everybody is working for it. And the, 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 the master puppeteers are the, the, the leading characters in the, the digital financial complex. And politicians, politicians, if you're a politician in these days, you have to follow their orders. If you don't follow their orders, you're out of the game within a few days. Yes, and I appreciate uh, one of my favorite quotes from FDR that you bring up is that when something happens in politics, it's planned. Exactly, exactly. And we, it, can, we can be sure that what, what we're witnessing right now has been planned. If you take a look at the Event 201, if you take a look at the uh, lockstep uh, uh, agenda by the, uh, I think it was the Rockefeller Foundation, if you take a look at all these things, they make sense if you put them into chronological order. Everything that is happening right now was prepared. If you take a look at the book that was uh, published by Klaus Schwab, the book was published in July uh, 2020, and it contains the, the whole script for what's happening right now. And if you know, if you've I've written books, a lot of books by myself, and I know how long it takes uh, to write a book and to get a book published. But that book was published three months after the big lockdowns, and that book was called COVID-19, The Great Reset. So I'm pretty sure that this book was written a long time before we started to, to hear about COVID-19. It seems that a lot of people are very frightened, but they're not frightened about the right things. Exactly. They're, that's what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to distract people's attention. They're trying to make people, uh, to, to get people into some sort of uh, state of panic, into a sort of, uh, into, a, into a, a state where they can't react normally. And, and I mean, they've, they've achieved their goal uh, with, a, with the majority of the people. A lot of people, at least here in Europe, a lot of people are in a state uh, of, of total panic right now. They're afraid that they might die because of this, uh, uh, this virus. But the, the, the narrative is, com is coming apart right now because uh, we, we're facing now, we're facing, I think, the fourth or the fifth uh, wave of the, the, the virus. And everybody knows that people, even if they are infected now, they, they don't get as sick as, as they got in the first uh, wave. And they know that not, not as many people have died as they have predicted. And for example, right now they've uh, published figures about the, uh, the uh, probability of being uh, affected by Omicron, uh, by this new variant, and the, the death rate is, uh, I think it's, it's below 0.20%, so it's absolutely ridiculous. It, doesn't, it does not justify all the, the measures that are still being undertaken. So the government here is getting into a, a major conflict with uh, uh, ever bigger numbers of the population, and I'm very 
I'm very eager to see what will happen within the next few weeks and months because I think the narrative is coming apart and a lot of people are waking up. And that that's what makes our job so important. We have to inform people about what's happening in the background because they have to know that they are being cheated, that this thing is not about health. This thing is about a totally different agenda. Ernst Wolf, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Speaking with Ernst Wolf, today's show has been The End Game. Ernst Wolf is an author and journalist living in Berlin. He has written four books in German on the relationship between the financial system and politics, including Financial Tsunami, soon to be out in English, Wolf of Wall Street, a printed version of a collection of short videos explaining different aspects of the financial system, and Pillaging the World, the History and Politics of the IMF, available in English. He has also written a children's book in German. Ernst Wolf was born in Tianjin, China, spent his childhood in Seoul, Korea, went to school in Germany, and studied in the U.S., but was expelled from the U.S. in 1970 for writing three articles against the Vietnam War. He has his own channels on YouTube, Odyssey, Telegram, and Facebook, mostly in German. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yara Mako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at gunsandbutter at startmail.com. That's gunsandbutter at startmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at GNB Radio. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now, the question is are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, Trying to steal your life You know what I'm saying? Look what decides yourself For peace